Well, good morning again. If you're joining us online, thank you for being with us. Um, if you're online, we're going to be celebrating communion today. So if you want to get those elements, you can celebrate with us. Uh, please feel free to do that and plan ahead. A while back, I was reading about uh, a cybersecurity firm. And, and this was their pitch. This was their ad. We identify, analyze, and evaluate risk. We ensure that the cybersecurity controls you choose are appropriate to the risk your organization faces. Without a risk assessment to inform your cybersecurity choices, you could waste time, effort, and resources. What are they concerned? There are people that want to take a company's cybersecurity system down. Well, why do I share that? If you're here this morning, I'm guessing you're a person of faith or interested in faith. There is an enemy who wants to take your faith system down. He wants to compromise it. He wants to ruin it. And in a sense, I, I want to do an analysis of why. Where, where, where's that risk coming from this morning? So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to Revelation 13, we're going to go through this passage and wrestle with this question, how will the enemy try to take down our faith? There's an enemy. How's he going to try and take down our faith? Now, if you haven't been here, let me give you a quick overview of where we've been in the book of Revelation. We started a number of weeks ago. Chapters 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, we find out this is John is getting a vision, an apocalypse. So God is going to communicate through symbols. Think a political commentator uses a political cartoon. But this is not for us to kind of speculate and crack the code. No, this is a prophetic word actually to a group of seven churches who are, are suffering. They're being persecuted for their faith. But John is a pastor to them, so he's going to write them a letter. And in fact, he is on the island of Patmos, and, and he's going to write a shepherding letter in the form of a prophecy given through a vision to these seven churches. Chapters 1 through 3, then, are uh, an analysis of each of the seven churches. This is what's going well. This is what needs to improve. Chapters 4 and 5, then, John's in a vision in heaven, and he sees things are in order. God is being worshipped, but that's not the way it's going on on earth, and, and, and a scroll is revealed, and this scroll is God's plan to vindicate the righteous and judge the unrighteous, but it's got seven seals on it, and that's symbolic of you need to be officially, have the, be an official to open it, and no one's seen, deemed qualified until John hears about the line of Judah and the root of David, militaristic terms for sure, but then he looks and he sees a lamb. The idea is this conquering lamb who conquered by giving his life. He is fit to open the scroll. And so that starts in chapters 6 through 8, the opening of seven sealed judgments on the world to bring about God's plan. The seventh one, though, instead of bringing us to the end, uh, starts a series of seven trumpet judgments, and we get those in chapters 8 through 11. And there will be a third set of seven judgments called the bowls, but before that, we're going to get an interlude in chapters 12 through 14 that's going to explain the cosmic battle behind the earthly battle. And that's where we are. We're in chapter 13. Last week in chapter 12, we were introduced to the dragon. Symbolic for Satan himself, that was clear. The one who did battle in the garden has always been at work against God's people. We're going to see here in chapter 13 that Satan works through some human enterprises, some human um, puppets that do his work. And so we start in chapter 13 with this. And the dragon, remember, symbolic for Satan, stood on, stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. 
Now, I want to stop. We're going to recognize who this beast is, but we want to keep in mind, who are the first readers? The first readers are those seven churches. And so when dignitaries, officials from Rome came, they usually came by way of sea. So this, I think, would be reflective, at least to the first readers, of, of Roman leaders, national, empire leaders, even as much as Domitian, who was, who was the emperor. Okay, so this beast is coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on their horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Okay, that tips us off that he's going to try and take on the mantle of God. And the beast, verse 2, which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet was like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power and his throne and great authority. So the dragon now is going to work through the beast. He's going to work through a human enterprise to do his bidding. And what is that? Well, chapter 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. Who do we know that was healed from a fatal wound? Well, Jesus was. He was put on the cross, put his spear in his side, verified dead, and he came. This beast is going to play himself off as God. Okay, And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon. They don't, they're not worshiping Satan. They don't think so. But they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? So Satan is using a human enterprise, in this case, in the first case, the emperor, to call for worship, and in worshiping the emperor, you're actually worshiping Satan. See, the, the Satan, remember, he lost the battle, and he's got a short amount of time. And he wants to draw as many people away from God as he can. So this, he delegates power to this beast. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given him. 42 months. That's the same time frame we saw in chapter 11 when we had two pictures. The, 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 the temple, the inner part was maintained, but the outer part was trampled for either 42 months or 1,260 days. And then we had two witnesses, representative of the church, who preached for a season and then were killed and people celebrated. That was 1,260 days or, or 42 months. And then chapter 12, we found out the dragon could work for 42 months. The, that's just linking chapters 11 12 and 13 together. There is battle going on for sure with a human entity, but behind that is Satan himself. He has delegated power to this beast. Verse 5, there was given to him. Oh, I read that. Verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. This one who will be raised up. And again, we are looking toward the end of the age when the persecution will intensify. There will be one, an antichrist who is raised up who will blaspheme God. He will call down those who worship God. He himself demands to be worshipped as God. Now this certainly reaches an intensity at the end of the age, but this has been happening the last 2,000 years in the church age. And remember, who are our first readers? They're these seven churches. And what are they being asked to do? They're being asked to worship Domitian as God. All the gods, the pantheon of the gods are up here, and, and, and they mediate their blessing through the Roman emperor, Domitian. So no longer is he just a human entity. He's to be worshipped as God. 
And you say, you say you're not going to worship him? You say you worship Jesus? You may cost us the blessings of God. I don't know that we can have you in the kingdom. This principle reaches the zenith at the end of the age, but it has been playing out the last 2,000 years in the church. It was also given to him, verse 7, to make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world and the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. So if you're not marked for Jesus, you will worship this beast. And if your name is written in the book of life, well, that may cost you. Verse 9 and 10, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone is killed with a sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here's the perseverance and the faith of the saints. What? To be willing to go to captivity. To be willing to lose your life. Because there may be a time where you are called to worship a human entity as God. And you don't. You go to prison. You don't. You lose your life. And John's word is you follow that. That's what it means to persevere in faith. Now, for those of us who believe the Bible is the Word of God, this sets up attention. On one hand, we need to be careful about government. They can be godlike. And there are dictators around the world who have no checks and balances, who have no legislative or judicial, or the legislative or judicial are just puppets, and, and they become godlike. And if you dare defy them or you, you say you're going to worship God, the Christian God, they'll put that down. So, yeah, we need to be hold government to make sure they're not becoming godlike. And yet we are called to submit to government. Government is God's ordained institution to maintain order until he comes back to set up his kingdom, like we read in Revelation 20, 21 and 22. Romans 13 tells us to follow government as God's institution. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 says that. And I want to just show a couple verses here. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority, we recognize the king's authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Well, which is it, Andy? It's, it's both. And we live this tension. And this is why Jesus says, be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Shrewd as a serpent. That's a pretty powerful metaphor if you think through. But Jesus is trying to make a point. I want you to weigh it out. I want you to be aware. We're not casting out government, but we are weighing it carefully to make sure they're not taking on godlike status. We've got two beasts. We've met one. We're going to meet the second one, starting here in verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. Now, the earth means it comes from the land. For the first readers, that's probably significant of their local authorities who pointed them to worship Rome. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. So we've got power being delegated from the dragon to the first beast to the second beast. The second beast is pushing people to worship the first beast, which is, all, first beast, which is ultimately worshiping Satan. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Godlike. He was dead. He's come back to life. He performed great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth 
because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Again, this first beast is God and there's pressure to worship him. So we started asking a question. There's an enemy who wants to take down your faith. There's an enemy who wants to take down my faith. Remember, we had the cybersecurity thing. We're going to do an analysis. We're going to do a risk. Okay, so we're doing a risk. Where are you and I at risk? Two areas, intimidation and deception. The enemy will work through intimidation and deception to take down our faith. Some combination of those two. And at the end of the age, which I think 12 and 14 is talking about and much of Revelation is, this will intensify. Okay? But it has been going on since the church started. What has been going on? Intimidation and deception. For what purposes? To get you and I to quit worshiping Jesus and worship some human entity. To worship some human institution. Verse 15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast, to be killed. So there are going to be people, the end of the age, who are going to say publicly, I can't worship him, then you're going to die. There will also be people who will suffer economic deprivation, verses 16 and 17. And he causes the, causes the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. There will be economic pressure. You can't participate unless you'll worship the beast. Rome, the first readers, these seven churches, were experiencing that. How? The local deity, the local God. You're a woodworker, you're a car, you're whatever. We have a, a God who is the, the God of our guild, and, and we meet every month to have a meal celebrated to him, and you can't do that? Well, I don't know that we can have you working in our guild. They're feeling that pressure. You will be deprived of your livelihood. Jesus, or through John, talks about making sure we're not marked for the beast. That's a contrast. Revelation 7, God marked his people on their forehead. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him, him who has the understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man and his number is 666. No verse, no verse in Revelation has gotten more tension than Revelation 13, 18. 666. Who is it? Who is it? Here's what I want to say about Revelation. This is not a code to be cracked. Okay? There's some principles here. That what? There are human institutions under the auspices of Satan who are both intimidating and deceiving us to getting us to quit worship Jesus. We miss that in Revelation when we get all wound up about who is the 666 and what is the mark. So let me give you this experience of mine. I came to faith in 1979. In 1980. Ronald Reagan was elected president. Now, if you want to try and crack the code, here's what I got for you. His name is Ronald Wilson Reagan. That's 666. 
six. And I was new to the faith, and people say, do you know? Do you know? That could be, that could be the Antichrist. Well, we had eight years of Reagan, and then we had four years of George W. Bush, and in 1992, Bill Clinton won the election, and there was a change of power. And a lot of those people, you know what they said? Clinton, Clinton, he's the Antichrist. We're cracking the code. Who is he? Ronald Reagan has passed away. When I get out my news app on my phone, I don't see much about Bill Clinton. I don't think they were the Antichrist. And Christians have made idiots of themselves throughout history trying to identify. Who is it? That's not what we're talking about. We're looking at a principle. There's a system in the world that is trying to intimidate us and deceive us to get us quit worshiping Jesus. Other place we get wigged out is, what is the mark of the beast? What is the mark of the beast? So in 1980, most of you, some of you weren't alive then, but some of you will remember, barcodes become a big deal in the grocery store. And don't you know, don't you buy something with a barcode on it because that could be the mark of the beast right there and don't do it. And we're 35 or 40. And you know, I don't know the barcode made down there. I, Tied up trying to crack the code. We're missing the point. There's a system in this world that is trying to take us down. And yes, it intensifies at the end. I think the first beast and the second beast is a reminder that it is a complicated network that wants to intimidate us and deceive us. And it will reach its zenith right before Jesus comes back. There will be an intense time of persecution. The Antichrist will come to power. But in the meantime, the spirit of the Antichrist has been at work these last 2,000 years. 1 John 2, verse 18 says this. Children, it's the last hour. That's the time between Jesus' first coming and second coming. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, that's what we're looking at in Revelation 13. Even now, I mean, we're reading, this is 2,000 years ago. Even now, Antichrists have appeared. For this, we know that is the last hour. This idea of intimidation and deception through the Antichrist, not the Antichrist, but the spirit of the Antichrist, it's been going on. John's first readers were experiencing that. And you and I are experiencing that. And it ebbs and flows in different parts of the world. Look, there are brothers and sisters right now who are being put to the sword. They are living this out. You deny Jesus, you back off Jesus, or you're dead, or you will spend time in prison. We are experiencing that to lesser degrees. Let's not get caught in trying to crack the code. Let's get the principle of revelation. There's an enemy who wants to take your faith system down and mine. And he's working through intimidation and deception. Now before I step outside the church and how this plays out, I want us to think about it in the church. And to do that, I want to quote one of my favorite writers and commentators. His name is Eugene Peterson. If you read the book, the Bible, the message, he's the one who wrote that. Uh, and he commented on this passage. He says, and he's talking about the church, not outside, the church. He says, how do we protect ourselves from organized deceit? St. John is blunt. Use your heads. Figure out what is going on. Most of the conspicuous religion that is in vogue at any one time in the country derives from the land beast. Expose these religious pretensions. This religion has nothing to do with God. Get its number. It's a human number. 
This is not divine mystery, but a confident man's patter, a religion that makes a show, religion that vaunts itself, religion that takes our eyes off the poor and suffering and holy Christ. In the language of Numbers, 666 is a triple failure to be a 777, the three times perfect whole divine number. It's a recurring characteristic of this land beast that is commercialized. It requires huge budgets to maintain itself. It manipulates economically, getting us to buy and sell at its bidding, marketing advice, solace, blessings, solutions, salvation, and good feelings. The devil's strategy here is not the black mass, but the mass market. That's in the church. We can buy in to this deception and manipulation and substitute that for the true Savior, Jesus. Now, I want us to think outside the church. What are the institutions? What is it God is using in our day to pull people away? What is it he's trying to substitute through deception? I will tell you my biggest concern or one of my bigger concerns for the church is these 24-hour news channels. Okay, back in the day when I was a youngster, it was Peter Jennings or Tom Brokaw, or who's the third one? Dan Rather. CBS, NBC, ABC, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. And then they were advertising their, their sitcom or their police shows or something. 1980s, CNN comes along and that births cable news. Now, cable news, they're not advertising sitcoms or police shows. They've got to give material that you'll keep coming back. And so they put provocative stuff out there to bring you back, and people get all wigged out depending on your political persuasion, what's on CNN, MSNBC, or Fox, or Newsmax. And what concerns me is Christians' perspective is more informed by these political commentators than it is the Gospels. So I'm talking on the left, Don Lemon, Cooper Anderson. Uh, on the right, I'm talking about Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson. Stephen Colbert, the comedian, the I mean, there's, they, they, they quote, they know, and, and, and they're, they're given deity. They're, they don't speak truth. And I don't want our worldview informed by what is going on on these TV, these 24-hour cable news shows, rather than the Bible. That's a human institution that God can use to draw people away. And to worship politicians or politics or policies or, or, or people, the commentators themselves. Other places, sports figures. A guy can throw a, a football in, in this kind of a window. Man, he, is, he knows everything about everything. Or he can dunk a basketball. He's all-knowing. Or they, they sell millions of hits of music or they're... they're they win whatever awards they win for the movie. They, I mean, they, they become an authority. And they speak more to our worldview than, than the Bible does. And I can go on about politicians or coaches or sports teams or whatever. The, the, the principle here is there's a world system using deception, using, using intimidation to bring our faith down. The dragon... We'll use human institution for his point. And that's to get you to quit worshiping Jesus. That's to get me to quit making Jesus a priority 
and focusing on something or someone else. Let's not worry about cracking the code. Let's worry about taking the principle away. And let's focus on the one Jesus who said, I have overcome the world. Who tells us, fear not, I have overcome the world. Let's make sure he is speaking more into our life than any of these human institutions. I'm not a hunter, so I don't quite understand how it all works. But I I read about duck decoys. And here's what I read about duck decoys. Hunters put them out. They're fake, apparently, but they look real to the duck. And the duck flies down, and the hunter gets a shot, and bang, they're dead. So these guys, these poor ducks, they got faked out. They thought something was real, it was fake, and they're dead. Okay, there are human entities, there are people, there are institutions who portray themselves as godlike. And we give them that status, and boom, our faith system gets blown apart. Go back to what Eugene Peterson said St. John is blunt. Use your head, be wise, be aware. There's a system that the Satan is using of intimidation and deceit to bring our faith down. We're going to move to a time of communion now. So if you're an individual or a couple leading a table, if you would come up here, that would be great. I think this is a, a, a fitting way to end this ceremony, uh, this message. Because we are not um, giving ourselves to these human institutions. We're giving ourselves ultimately to Jesus. And, and the reason we can do this is because He came and His body was broken and His blood was shed that we might be free from the need of human institutions. Now, this doesn't become the little, literal body and blood of Jesus. We believe this is symbolic. But the wafer's broken and the, the juice is spilled because Jesus' body was broken and His blood was shed. This is a memorial. We're remembering His sacrifice on our part. You do not have to be a member of this church. We just ask that you be a follower of Jesus to participate with us. Having said that, then I invite you to come and celebrate this memorial to Jesus with us.